All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. As you know, faith is a complicated thing and this journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and I am also on this journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my story and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of faith's biggest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I am your host, Josh Patterson, and today I am back at it again with my silly game 20-ish questions. Although it seems like not to be too silly, you guys have seemed to be enjoying it. Uh, I personally have really enjoyed it. Um, So again, shout out to Trip Fuller. Thank you for the idea, and thank you for being the inaugural guest uh, in this, you know, 20 HQs kind of uh thing that is happening <laughs> i don't know what to call it a bit uh series whatever uh but today we're continuing that that series with uh so last time todd littleton was on and his nomination uh was jason michelli and so today i i have the privilege of of hanging out with jason michelli so jason thank you so much uh for your time thanks for your flexibility and putting up with my crazy schedule and uh, for agreeing to come hang out and answer 20-ish questions that you have no idea what I'm about to ask you. <laughs> no idea. No idea. Yeah, well, uh, so Jason, I um, personally was kind of familiar with your work um, prior to kind of this conversation being set up. Um, so, okay. one, you know, uh, one of the you know, kind of final questions in this is, is inviting another podcaster on. Um, and so when Todd, uh, was like, Oh, Jason Michelle, I was like, sweet. I love, you know, crackers and grape juice. Um, I I've enjoyed that, uh, podcast. And so, you know, I was, uh, like I told you prior to, to starting, um, I was excited to, to meet you at the allergy beer camp last year and then heard about the, the craziness, uh, that went down. And I was like, well, if there's a good excuse for leaving beer camp, then I, that's probably the best one. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we we were there for like two beers. I think we were there for two beers. That was it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm sorry to hear about that. The listeners basically, essentially, there was a, a fire at your church, right? Um, the, the it was at uh, Tears Church. Oh, at at Tears yeah. Church. Okay. Okay. 
So and and Tier, yeah, Tier is um, another uh, individual he's, who's a, a part of the podcast. Yeah, he's he's my work wife on the podcast, and so I had to go back <laughs> with him. Oh man! All right, well. <laughs> Uh, Jason, just in, in case people have no idea what I'm talking about when I say crackers and grape juice or, or, or Jason Michelli, can you just kind of, uh, before we d- jump into the 20 uh, questions, can you just kind of introduce yourself and maybe, um, share a little bit about who you are and, and what kind of things you find yourself doing? Uh, sure. Um, so I'm one of the hosts of a podcast called crackers and grape juice we have uh, a few different podcasts that we do uh i do it with uh, a stable of friends of mine um most of whom i have known for quite a lot most of my life um i'm a united methodist pastor i have served in prison ministry i was a hospital chaplain for a time uh, and i have been a pastor here in northern virginia just outside of dc since 2005 um, so people can find us at crackersandgrapejuice.com, uh, and I'm also on Substack. Sweet, awesome. I'll, I'll be sure. To- along oh, with, along with, I just discovered yesterday, Jesse the Barbara has a great Substack. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, then I guess we will have to, we'll, you know, in- include all of those in the show notes. Then that way, people can again uh, go in and and find those. Um, um, so I, I know I've kind of already referenced it and you mentioned it, but um, just so listeners know, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the podcast that you do? Like, what's it called? And uh, yeah. Yeah, it's Crackers and Grape Juice. Um, we're when we started, uh, it, it was uh, we were all United Methodist pastors. Um, and so we were like, like you know. We, we, we tried to get Tony Jones, actually, to help us come up with Methodist-sounding names. Um, and so Crackers and Grape Juice was a playful one that we came up with. Um, and so uh, that's kind of a, for the most part, that's just a conversational interview style um, podcast that Tier Hardy and I do together uh, that comes out every Friday. Sweet. Yeah, I, I, uh, I love the name. Um. Yeah, and and I yeah, think and our, I kind of. Our, oh, go ahead. Our tag. Now, our, our tagline is talking faith without using stained glass language. I think that is sometimes more aspirational than actual. Um, and I think uh, uh, I think you know, if I had to brand us, it, it's you know, we're we're kind of in the the. Our wheelhouse is is a, a sort of generous orthodoxy. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember. I think I found crackers and grape juice when I was working at uh, a Methodist church as a high school and young adult pastor. Um, and this was post like a really negative experience I had at the first church I ever worked at. Um, and so at the time I was listening to like, name a deconstruction podcast like you know well prior to like that becoming like the thing like bad christian the liturgist that kind of stuff um and i don't remember if somebody recommended crackers and grape juice to me or if it just kind of like came across my feed uh but yeah i've i've really enjoyed uh crackers and grape juice i continue to enjoy it um it it 
in a positive sense, it helps me kind of uh, ground myself and, and balance myself at times. Because, uh, you know, I can, you know, kind of if you th- picture a pendulum, I was at one place and then sometimes, you know, the pendulum swings way kind of crazy. Uh, crackers and grape juice helps me like bring the pendulum back. So I'm like, okay, relax, breathe. It's all good. <laughs> so I, I've, I have so, very much so, enjoyed it. So, so what listeners, what he's saying is when I go to theology beer camp, me and Tony Jones are the two most traditional conservative people there. That's what he's saying. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> Oh man, you and Tony. Well, so all right, let's um go ahead. I'll I'll stop beating around the bush and jump into these 20-ish questions, which again, some of them are serious, some of them are silly. Um, and and that's a part of the game. So okay. best of luck. <laughs> uh and I'll do my best not to comment, although as you already know, in the short few minutes you've uh known me, I talk too much. So forgive me. Uh, but the first one is why did you start uh, your God pod? Why did you start crackers and grape juice? Um, I went on medical leave for a year with cancer. Uh, thought I was going to die. I mean, I, that was, that was not like an irrational fear. That was uh, the likelihood. Um, and in reflecting uh, during that, hiatus, uh, I realized um, I hadn't been intentional enough about some of my friendships. And so I was like, oh, well, like, how about, uh, how about, and, and, and one of those friends, Tier Hardy, that I do the podcast with, uh, was one of the first people to show up when I woke up in the hospital from emergency surgery. Uh, so that's what caused the reflection. Um, and so I was like, oh, we'll start a podcast. And that'll like force me to talk to these people who are important to me on a weekly basis. Um, yeah. And so um, so it, it's it's never been about the podcast or a particular ideological project or anything like that. It, it, it was really just a, a hobby uh, that had friendship as its telos. Yeah, I love asking that question because uh, for me, story is really important. Um, and I love grounding conversations and story because it's it's easy to kind of, especially for me, like I, I'm a person that tends to live in my head. I don't know how to turn my brain off. So it just constantly is like going insane. And so hearing story helps kind of um, take I, things from just like ideas and kind of brings them down and, mm-hmm. and helps me kind of embody them in relationship. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's a <laughs> crazy and beautiful story, uh, as, as to why you started. So I, I love asking that question. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like, so tier, so I, 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 I married tier and his wife, and then I later hired him as a youth minister. Taylor's on the podcast. He was, a youth when at the church when I first got there. So I've known him for forever. Um, Joanna is on the podcast. I was a camp counselor with her uh, when I was in college. Um, Todd's daughter, Tommy is our producer. Uh, she's become a friend. She became a friend and then she became the producer. Uh, we have someone I call the minion 
David King, who just graduated from Princeton Seminary, whom I've known since he was six years old. Um, so they're all, it, yeah. So it's it's um, it's it's yeah. It's just a a little collaboration among friends. Yeah, I I love that. Like, friend, especially as like a deeply social person, friendship has been something that's always been super like important to me and continues to kind of grow um in importance especially with like i know uh you've probably heard trip ramble on about the uh the kind of like the the study that came out about you know friendships and adults and how that kind of contributes to um life experience and like also life expectancy and all these kind of things uh but yeah that i i love it i yeah solid, solid foundation and um friend yeah anyway i can go on about friendship but i i'm not supposed to comment so i have to shut up <laughs> the the next question is not as uh uh easy uh it's a little bit more serious but also kind of fun um what is the most embarrassing theological position that you have held to in the past I would say, looking back, uh, um, mm, I, I how, how do I explain this theological position? Um, I preached too much law and not enough gospel, which is to say I made us the subject of the sentences of my sermons instead of God. Um, and so without meaning to, I presented Christianity as the continuation of a movement begun by the dead Jesus. Nice. That's a solid answer. I've got, <laughs> so I like it. Yeah. So far, um, I'm trying to remember what I know Trip gave like three answers and then, uh, Todd, if I remember correctly, talked about some kind of like dispensationalist eschatology. Uh, one answer, <laughs> one answer that question. Um, I, I mean, I've never had like, I mean, because I'm not like I didn't grow up with Southern Baptist or Evangelical, so I, I don't none of that. I mean, I do. This is unrelated, and maybe we'll alienate some listeners. But you know, I'm as a United Methodist, I'm in the midst of this denominational divorce over sexuality, and. I'm often embarrassed by the self-righteous certainty with which I've spoken out on this, you know, and and now because of the podcast, I've met a lot of Catholics and Anglicans and Orthodox and I'm like, huh, like, it's oh, like, what if I'm wrong? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, you know, so it's like, I don't think I am and I'm not embarrassed by my position, but I am embarrassed by kind of my, um, almost i don't know uh inability to realize like oh i'm part of a global body <laughs> and and like there's plenty of people who disagree with me and and you know maybe the, uh, yeah so it's like what if i'm wrong <laughs> i yeah that question what if i'm wrong is is one that i try to and often fail but try to remind myself of um because I've been wrong so many times in the past, or at least I've perceived myself to be wrong. And like, I've 
shifted ideas or actually I was wrong and, you know, caused me to think differently mm-hmm. about something. So I, I think, I don't know, that it's it's refreshing uh, to hear people talk about like, at least acknowledging like, hey, I could be wrong about this. I don't think I am. Because you, you can be confident about a position, but you can still have humility, right? You can still be like, why? Well, I, I really think this is true, but also maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's uh, that's helpful. And I try to do that, uh, but depending on who I'm talking to, I'm not good at it. <laughs> I can uh, I can be a jerk sometimes. But um, all right. So again, failing at not commenting. Uh, number three, uh, I like this question a lot. If you, so if you could go back in time, what would you tell 15 year old Jason? Um, uh, well, I wasn't even a Christian then. Um, <laughs> um, I I mean, I guess if I could go back in time and I would just tell that person that he should go to church. All right, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, And speaking, speaking of church, then what is your favorite church memory? Um. I don't, uh, so I'll give you one that's, uh, uh, relatively recent, uh, a woman died a couple of months ago, old woman. So I, I always thought this, she was, she was, she was old single. I always pictured her as like the old spinster cat lady. Um, she drove like the shittiest old Volvo I've ever seen in my life that had both end bumpers like held up with duct tape you know she'd bring like bags of like food or whatever for whatever collection um but i I just saw her as a sort of like sad figure um and then she died and she didn't have any family left uh and so another older lady in the congregation is the executor of her will right now and this woman came to me and planning planning the funeral she was like jason like I went through the house and she's like, you'll never believe it. I was like, what? And she was like, she has all of these love letters and photos that I discovered. Um, and so it turns out uh, the letters were from and the pictures were of her and this man uh, who was also in the church that she counted money with every Sunday. Uh, and it turns out they had a secret like three decade love affair that nobody knew about, like absolutely nobody. Um, And the reason, the reason she drove that shitty old car is because he gave it to her as a gift. Um, And this woman who who was the executor, she was like, you know, I was thinking about when he was dying, I went to see him in the hospital and he was unresponsive. And she's like, out of nowhere, he just sat up and, and looked at me and he's like, Alice, you know, I love her. Right. And said her name. And, 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 and she was like, I, I didn't think anything of it at the time. She's, she's um, and so, uh, 
one of the things that keeps me engaged as a pastor and a preacher is that I don't know that there's any sort of human community where you get to like overhear stories like that. And so yeah, people, that's people a- are all like and people are constantly like, in, you know, after a sermon, like, like I don't know where you get your stories from, and I'm like, well, like this is just this is like what church is. Yeah, I love that. That's such an awesome story. I, uh, it, yeah, that that kind of sense of community and like the the privilege of being able to kind of be you know privy to those kind of uh, stories and conversations is one of the things that I miss most about when I used to work, you know, vocationally uh, within the church um, is just that kind of sense of like deep community and uh, like these kind of like fun, bizarre, beautiful stories that you kind of find out and, yeah. and hear and, and get to be a part of. Uh, yeah, I, I miss that a lot, actually. Um, yeah, I'm so I'm going to be mean. And I'm going to flip that question and ask you the kind of the opposite. Um, do you have a a least favorite church memory? Any uh, district clergy meeting? <laughs> there we go. No, those are no, yeah. Um, 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 probably the most dispiriting thing. I uh, so the podcast team were given press passes to cover the 2019 United Methodist General Conference, kind of like a local gathering uh, in St. Louis, uh, a meeting to which uh, nobody uh, invited Jesus, apparently, um, or at least like, I don't remember anyone invoking his name. Uh, and it was, it, it, I hated every second of it. Um, so that, that's my worst church memory, church at its worst. Yeah, when I, when I was working at the Methodist church, like I told you prior to um, us kind of recording here, I like that the 2019 gathering was happening uh, when I was working in a Methodist church. And the church that I happened to be at uh, was uh, in West Palm Beach, Florida. And um, they were very much an open and affirming church. And I had multiple parents in the youth group that uh were in like same sex relationships uh there you know people on staff uh were within the lgbtq community and so that was um when i look back to that that was one of the um was a big struggle to kind of participate that be in relationship with people where you know for me like i'm a cisgender white dude i didn't have skin in the game per se although like so both of my brothers uh are are within the lgbtq community my one brother jordan is is gay my other brother justin uh is pansexual um but currently is like in, in a relationship with another man uh so like that i remember watching that and not fully understanding um the gravity of the situation because i'm you know i wasn't uh, lifelong Methodist per se. I, I didn't fully understand how the polity worked. I didn't understand the gravity of the conference, but more so what gripped me about it was watching uh, people that I loved and cared for um, 
kind of wrestle with those things and and uh suffer and be like uh disheartened and and these kind of things uh from what kind of transpired um so yeah that uh i i don't know i i don't know where you stand <laughs> on things but that i i remember that that very much so um in my time at the methodist church yeah it ended <laughs> It ended because uh, they had to clear out the room to make time for the monster truck rally that was on the schedule next, but uh, which just seems kind of appropriate in God's good humor. But um, yeah, no, it ended with uh, some like traditionalist delegates from Africa, um, you know, dancing and celebrating right next to other people on their knees weeping. Um, and I was like, oh, well, this is. Um, this is both not good and this is a perfect portrait of, of who the church is right now. Oh man. Well, all right. Not, not to move on to move on, but just for, you know, I guess the rules, the game, so to speak. Um, what prominent doctrine do you feel needs to die or go away? Prominent doctrine needs to go away. Um, I mean, I so I guess the way I would answer that is that I would say none. I would uh, I think certainly, um, and when I'm and, I, and when you say doctrine, I'm thinking of creedal doctrines um, that we can rethink their claims um or we can rethink how how they are so um but i think uh generally uh as a rule of thumb i practice a hermeneutic of trust when it comes to uh the deposit left by the church fathers all right i like it uh you're you're the well out of the the other two they both uh chose one um yeah but i i like your answer um I, especially the idea of like re but like rethinking reframing uh because i mean especially for me personally i kind of i had this uh there there was a point in my life more recently not super recently probably like a year ago where I didn't know, am I a Christian? Am I not? Like, is God real? Is like all of this just nonsense? And more recently, I've come to a place where I have, I can't explain it. I don't know why, but I've kind of become very much like more comfortable using kind of like Christian language again. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, I mean something different by it than what I used to mean by it. But I still like I've discovered kind of like the beauty within the tradition and um, not to bring it up again, but Trip has constantly challenged me like, dude, like, how do you inherit what's beautiful from the tradition in such a way that is, is again, faithful to the tradition, but also faithful to today and the questions people are asking today. And like, that's been very helpful for me. So I, I like the answer <laughs> and not in like a... Um... You know. Yeah, no, and part of it, I think, so part of it is, um, 
part of it is an understanding that the tradition you inherited didn't necessarily understand the actual tradition with a capital T, you know? Um, I think that's a big part of it. And then um, I think also in the West, um, especially in evangelicalism, like there's a tendency to, to make things doctrines that are not, um, that are actually, uh, you know, adiaphora, you know, things, so, you know, secondary things upon which we can disagree. Um, you know, to say that Jesus descended to the dead, like that's dogma, like you can't dispute that, right, as a Christian. Um, like asserting like eternal everlasting torment, like, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a whole other thing, <laughs> um, which is not in the creed. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, that's, oh, all right, I'll comment one, one more thing on this. That's interesting because when I started working at the Methodist church and would have conversations with students and would be honest about some of the questions I was asking, they were like, I never had to ask that question before. Cause like the Methodists, they never taught me that. Like mm-hmm. they've, you know what I mean? So like, it was really interesting for me to kind of go from, even though I started in a Methodist church, probably mm, like third through fifth, maybe sixth grade in a Methodist church, my family discovered that what I like to say, the wonders of early contemporary uh, Christian music, like early 2000s CCM stuff. And we like pieced out and went to the Southern Baptist church down the road. And that's like where kind of this more formative um, experience happened for me. Um, So it was interesting trying to relate my experience to these students who had grown up within the Methodist uh, denomination. And they were like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. That was not a question for us. (laughs) So anyway, Mm -hmm. it was just, it was an interesting and, and helpful uh, kind of uh, learning experience. for me my so i have another uh less than nice question um depending on how you look at it (laughs) it's not a fair question if you had to remove one book from the bible what would it be and why no this is easy proverbs oh nice okay why proverbs it's annoying (laughs) uh no uh well uh will willeman describes it as proverbs is like a long road trip with your mother-in-law um and 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 uh and wisdom literature in general i think if i had to kick anything out of the bible it would be that because i think the church in america is across protestant traditions is in the midst of a uh enthrallment with uh, a wisdom tradition so a whole lot of advice life lesson type sermons you know three steps to blah 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 which um it doesn't sound like those are it doesn't at first appear that what those preachers are doing is preaching law, but that that is what they're doing. Um, and that if you could do the things in Proverbs, you don't need a savior, um, which, so that's, you know, that gives you a Christianity made to order for uh, American bourgeois life. Nice, solid, that, all right. I think that is my 
favorite answer to the question so far because it was unexpected and surprised me. Uh, both Todd and Trip kicked out Revelation, uh, which to me, I'm, not the you know shit on Trip and Todd, but that's kind of a easy answer for me because it's like no one understands what it is, and people make charts and graphs and helicopters or locusts all, or something. Like. But see, <laughs> all of that, all of that is a fundamental mistake. So it's it's. Um, I'm, I say this because I'm about to start like a really long sermon series through Revelation. Ah, um, uh, yes, awesome. That, you know, from from Irenaeus to the 18th century, the church took it on faith, trust uh, that John, the beloved disciple, was the author of Revelation. It was only with the advent of modern biblical scholarship that they were like, well, "We don't know who this guy is," and and once you say, "We don't know who this guy is," it allows people on the right to go off into like crazy prediction decoding land. And it allows people on the left to just be like, man, we don't really have to pay attention to this. Um, but if you, you know, and, and Irenaeus says, you know, John, the beloved disciple wrote this because like he told this dude and this two told me. So there's like just one person in between, you know? And so like, if you think about like, Oh, well, the guy that Jesus entrusted his mother to wrote this, um, and then you put it in conversation with the only scripture he knew, which was Israel's Bible. Um, and then you see like, oh, well, he's just trying to like articulate the promise of the gospel with images from Ezekiel and Daniel, and that, you know? So it's, um, so yeah, no, Revelation does not need to go. Proverbs needs to go. Nice. Yeah, I love it. I, my, uh, my buddy, oh, actually, as I found out, our, our mutual, uh, friend, uh, Jace Broadhurst is, um, been doing like a, a walkthrough of the book of revelation on his like Tuesday school thing that he does, um, which has been fun. I show up when I'm available uh, and, oh, actually he had me show up to talk about like some of the hell stuff. Like this is revelation preaching eternal conscious torment. Um, so that was fun, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I I'm interested in that, that sermon series. It seems like uh, recently I've noticed there's been, uh, multiple books, you know, kind of on, on revelation popping up, like, you know, Bart Ehrman put out one, uh, Scott McKnight put out one, uh, uh, not Jordan Wood. Um, oh goodness. I'm forgetting his name, but he, he wrote a, an awesome book called something about like between two trees, uh, last name Wood. But anyway, he has, he has a book on revelation coming out. So I think it's a, it's a book people have questions about. I think people have always kind of had questions about it and, um, I'm always intrigued to to hear people talk about it in such a way where it's not just like, oh, well, it's the end of the world. And if you have the COVID vaccine, that's the mark of the beast. And now you're screwed kind of thing. Um, I think I think the history of interpretation of Revelation is more than anything an indictment of how few Jews Christians know. I Yes. All right. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right. So I'm going to ask you a, the, the same question, but in a positive sense, uh, if there was, if you could canonize one written document, it can be anything uh, outside of scripture, uh, what would it be and, and why? Um, anything? Yeah, any any kind of uh, written literature, like uh, for example, Trip was like, well, obviously he was like Lord of the Rings, but all, but also it's a more serious answer was, uh, 
MLK Jr.'s uh, letter from a Birmingham Birmingham jail. And Todd wanted to do the uh, Didache, you know, canonize that. Um, Terrible idea. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Todd. It's like another book of Proverbs. Um, Um. Can you canonize anything? Um. I mean, I don't want to turn this into just like what my favorite book is. Um, <laughs> right, that's fair enough. And maybe, maybe nothing <laughs> is a good answer. Maybe you're like, "Well, the Bible is fine how it is. Don't need to canonize anything else." Um. The sermons of Saint Augustine. All right, there we go. So, what's what's your uh, your affinity with the uh, sermons of Saint Augustine? They're just really good, and it's just like you know, let's if we're gonna throw anything else in there. Let's like throw in someone early doing it. Nice. Yeah, I I appreciate that. That's actually one thing. Um, for people in like some of the kind of the circles that I swim in criticizing Augustine, you know, is like a fun thing to do. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but also like I've been challenged by people uh, like Tony um, and also like Trip, um, to actually read Augustine and like take him seriously. And I think in doing so it's been deeply helpful. Um, and then also there were these two um, uh, Jesuits that would come into full tilt the last brewery that I worked at prior to, you know, kind of um, (laughs) unfortunately going bankrupt and getting shut down uh, that I would talk to. And the one guy, Josh, great name, by the way. uh, But this one guy, Josh would constantly harp on Augustine. And we had like so many good conversations and he kind of really turned me on uh, to some like really cool and more beautiful aspects of Augustine that um, I didn't necessarily uh, see before because I was, you know, kind of so worried about being like, well, Augustine sucks. And like, he thinks dumb things, blah, blah, blah. So I like it. Augustine is a, is a solid answer. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's dude was a genius. Like people want to throw out Augustine or Aquinas or like, I mean, there's, you know, Rushmore figures that need to be read. Yeah. Read, read and respected. I'm, I'm here for it. Um, all right. So speaking of reading in the past, I don't know, six months might be too long. So I'm going to, I'm going to adjust my question on the fly in the past, like maybe three months. What is your favorite book, uh, that you have read? Um, the last policeman by ben somebody or other okay um, he's it's uh, uh it's just like a three-part series um he's written another really good book about um it's like an alternate civil war history modern day um it, yeah so the last policeman uh, there's like a giant meteor headed towards earth um and it will be certain doom for you know the significant size of the population depending on where it crashes uh and he is 
trying to, so in the midst of apparent meaninglessness, he is investigating um, what looks like a suicide, but he thinks is possibly a homicide. And so he's taking the time in the midst of meaninglessness uh, to respect the, the sanctity of one person's life. So nice. Really and that, yeah, and that was called The Last Policeman. Mm-hmm. All right. That does sound good. I like it. I'm ready for the uh, the Jason Michelle movie adaptation of The Last Policeman. It's going to be the first time you've directed a movie, unless I'm wrong. <laughs> Which, yeah, no. And it's, I mean, like Stanley Harris has a good, really good essay in Christian Existence Today, I think, about um, detective novels being. Uh, the most Christian genre of literature. I think he's right. Nice. Well, uh, I have definitely enjoyed uh, some Hauerwas <laughs> in my past. I've not read Hauerwas recently, um, but I I got introduced to Hauerwas in uh, college when I was at uh, Messiah College, now Messiah University. Um, yeah, sweet. And, you know, uh, anyway, can't. Yeah, cool. Stop talking, Joshua. It's against the rules. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> this one is is a fun question because you can kind of um, like choose your own adventure on it. So if if Jesus appeared before you visibly, what one question would you ask him? And the kind of choose your own adventure bit is uh, it, it's a Christological kind of question, but you could either choose like the historic Jesus or the risen Christ. Um, if you want to make that differentiation, if you don't want to make the differentiation, then say they're both the same, but that's the kind of choose your own adventure aspect of the question. Um, so this has happened to me. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I know from having been encountered that, uh, I would not have anything. Um, I would not be able to muster up anything worthy uh, other than just like, well, wait, who, what? So, and or uh, uh, unsettled fright. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, Do. And so, you know, like my response, yeah. I mean, my response to like, you know, people who are like, you know, try to tell me they don't believe in the resurrection. And I'm like, well, well, I do because I've met him. Um, not, not because it's in the, the creeds or the scriptures. Um, and so, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's not the kind of occasion for like, uh, oh, this is my chance to ask you the one question I've always pondered. Um because if you are encountered, uh, it would be it would be sinful to turn Jesus into a to 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 use him as a device to give you an answer to a question you had. That's how I would put it. Too much Christianity is defined by its utility 
Yeah, that <laughs> that I like that it because it, it it makes me uncomfortable, but in a way that gives me hope. <laughs> if that makes sense, um, because especially I've been reading a lot recently about kind of uh, the kind of experiences that you're talking about, and as somebody who finds himself within like kind of the process relational uh, way of thinking at you know about the world and stuff, um, experience really matters. And there are many process thinkers who try to uh, make sense of mystical experience or near-death experience or, you know, et cetera, these kind of like air quote supernatural experiences uh, because part of process is like, hey, like if we don't have a worldview that includes the experience of people, then like it's silly. It doesn't matter. Um, And so when I hear stories like yours, it both unsettles me, but also gives me hope at the same time. Uh, and so I, I love well, it. I and it, I want to try to take that into to consideration. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, so it's uh, yeah, uh, the good news in scripture and the early church was not the tomb is empty. It's, you know, first he appeared. So like, I mean, the, the tomb is incidental, um, you know, it's, it's them being encountered by the risen Jesus. Um, and so I think it's on the one hand, um, Galatians warns us against being spiritual experience chasers. Um, well, I, the entire old Testament warns us against being spiritual experience chasers. Um, but on the other hand, Paul is right that if, uh, Christ is not raised, then like, what the fuck are we doing wasting our time? Like, this is, this is just nonsense and ideology is all it is. Um, and, and also a violation of the first commandment. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that, that, you know, um, he, he, he is risen indeed. All right. Well, there we go. We're going to say, I wanted to say, amen. That, that was like the thing that felt like it wanted to come out of me. Uh, I repressed it, said something else, but now I'm saying amen. All right. <laughs> so maybe that's the, the, the kind of true nature of Josh uh, of speaking. Um, so uh, as a podcaster, I'm assuming that, that probably you listen to other podcasts. So are there like three podcasts that maybe you'd want to name? Like, oh, I really like these three, but they, it can't be crackers and grape juice or any offshoot of crackers and grape juice. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I would recommend uh, the mocking cast by mockingbird ministries um, run by my friend, David Saul. I would recommend um, speak easy theology by Chris E.W. Green. Um, and then uh, a non <laughs> I'm a, a huge fan of the Bulwark, which is like a center left, center right online magazine, and they have a bevy of podcasts. Um, and so I listen to that quite regularly too. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. I uh, I wrote those three down, and I personally part of why I wanted to ask that question is because like I'm always looking for good podcasts. <laughs> Uh, so I wrote them down, but also to uh, for listeners to enjoy as well. Um, so the next question, well, so the next two uh, kind of go 
uh, a little bit more personal. I've noticed that if this question is asked towards maybe like a member of clergy, it doesn't seem as big of a deal. But if you ask an academic this question, they get like really uncomfortable and are like, why are you asking me this? Um, so that, that you're question asking, is... You're going to ask me about Jesus. Uh, this is about Jesus? Very, yeah, essentially. So I'm, and, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you about like any kind of meaningful relationship. And so I want to ask you is, can you tell me about a time that you felt the most connected with the divine? Um, most, uh, I, I don't, I, um, I, I, so I serve Eucharist every Sunday. Um, I think. I mean that that's um I think for me so so for me part of the work of faith is trusting that the ordinary practices of the church are are where the Holy Spirit most reliably shows up. And so for me it's you know preaching, consecrating the bread, baptizing people. Um and so that that's where I feel the most um connected. Yeah, I, so after I stopped working in a church, like vocationally, um, I stopped attending for almost two years. And then one day just kind of had like a intuition, or maybe you could call it, uh, the spirit was leading me or I felt called something like that, whatever, whatever language you like, uh, to go attend, there's a, an Episcopal church. Um, a big, beautiful, like historic, like kind of like Gothic castle looking Episcopal church that I can see from my front porch right here in Baltimore city. And um, one day I just decided like, Hey, I want to go attend that. And it was, I had never been a part of something quite like what happened uh, during the service and, you know, very, very high church. I mean, you know, you get it, you know, how Episcopal churches are. Um, but the the Eucharist, like, that broke me. That and the way that they kind of made the New Testament reading the kind of, like, center of the service or, like, the most important thing um, really did something to me. And I'm, I, I'm I not, felt... I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm less a fan of that. I'm less a fan of that. But, um, That's fair enough. Um, well, you're a good Methodist, yeah. so you're, there you go. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm just like, oh my gosh, we're accidentally encouraging supersessionism. Um, right, but... which is not good. Yeah, I understand that. Oh, that's actually a good point. I haven't thought about that way. There we go. And we don't want to encourage supersessionism. Um, and, and but um, but you know, I think it's important. You know, like John talks about testing the spirits, which is a recognition that there's more than one spirit at work in the world, right? And just um, just because you feel connected to something or have an experience doesn't necessarily mean it's the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and so I think it's important to show up where uh, the Holy Spirit has promised to be. Like the Spirit can blow where it wills, but that doesn't mean we can't say where it is to be found. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, especially too, I think that kind of, you know, at least in my understanding and experience, that's where things like uh, trying to balance experience with 
scripture and tradition and these kind of things come into play because we can, you know, anybody can say, oh, well, I experienced God and God told me to do X, Y, and Z or like whatever. And it's like, okay, well, it sounds like the thing that you're saying that God or the spirit or whoever told you to do is very much the opposite of the God we find, you know, professed, you know, within scripture, through the person of Jesus, however you want to say it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I like that. I think it's, it's helpful that the balance is still. It's important. always, <laughs> it's uh, the true God is always a mediated experience, right? So it's mediated to us through means like bread and wine. It's mediated to us through a tradition and through scripture. It's mediated to us through a community. So if the community is like, no, we don't really think that was God. Like um, you have to, you know, defer to that very often because what it means to be a sinner is you are prone to delude yourself. Yeah. And I do that all the time uh, on a regular basis. You all do. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I'm going to uh, flip that question again, kind of like I've been doing throughout uh, our conversation. Uh, is there a time when you felt maybe the least connected uh, from God or from the divine? Or maybe like a dark night of the soul kind of thing? What, whatever kind of language you might want to uh, to put to that. Um. Yeah, I would say... Um... Um, when I was in the worst of my cancer, um, I was just simply too tired and sick to feel connected to anything really. Um, there's, there's something about needing to rely upon the faith and prayers of others because you don't have the vitality, um, to attend to it yourself. And then as a pastor, I've done funerals for I don't know how many children um a good number of them suicides um those are those are um difficult huh yeah I (laughs) um yeah those I don't know. Those, those times are always um, crazy and difficult. And I don't uh, envy people like yourself <laughs> who are pastors and, and um, kind of experience those like very deep, dark, raw experiences uh, more often than, than probably most people um, have to. Uh, so yeah, that, I don't know. I, I don't really have words for, for things like that. I'm just, I'm not jealous <laughs> of the situation. Um, it, yeah. And I, it, luckily, I guess in my short six years of pastoring, um, I didn't have any situations like that kind of come up um the one that kind of comes to mind is i had a student one time uh come to me uh after 
uh, kind of the like youth group was done for the evening and um, you know myself and uh, the other leaders were hanging out and some of like the student leaders and the student uh, approached me and just like started crying and I was like oh are you okay like you know what you know what's kind of going on Um, and she asked me she was like well like I have this family friend and they were a firefighter and they did a lot of really great things they they helped save a lot of lives uh but they were jewish and recently they died in a fire as they were trying to save the lives of uh, some little kids and she was like i've asked other people um is my friend now in hell? Did they go from, you know, burning in a literal fire, trying to save the lives of other people to burning, you know, in, in an eternal fire kind of thing. And she kind of expressed to me that like, she had asked um, one of the, the pastors on staff and their kind of response was like, yep, absolutely. They weren't a Christian. Now they're in hell. Um, they asked another person on staff and that person said, well, like, well, like, we don't really know, you know, I'm, I'm not God. I can't make that kind of judgment. Um, and, <laughs> and I remember responding based off her, um, where she was at the time. The thing that I felt best to do was try to offer some form of ultimate reconciliation uh, without saying that that's what I was doing. So I didn't get fired if word got back. But also at the same time, I was like, no, I need, I need in this moment, this student needs to know that their friend was seen and loved. Um, and basically ended what I told her, um, was that your friend sounded like a really awesome person. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that they are, um, hanging out, uh, in the embrace of the God who I know that is love right now. And, um, I mean, that's not the same of having to deal with like suicide or anything like that but that that situation always comes to mind and really stands out um within these kind of like you know darker kind of uh situations so i mean that's a good example of um just because it's hard to say things in moments that doesn't mean there's nothing for us to say right and so like, the question, I mean, like the question of Jews is like Romans 9 through 11, <laughs> so it's like, you know? And so it's just like, like I, uh, I hear these, like, it's just like, have you read the thing? Like, you know, like, anyway. Yeah. I'll, so <laughs> I'll say one more thing and then like, we'll, we'll move on, but like, um, I'm like, oh, they're fine. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm just like when, when it kind of like no, Paul already like it's like it's like it's in the freaking Bible. Like they're fine. <laughs> yeah, I I had a student phrase that question to me like this, and this is verbatim. They said, "Josh, do Jews count?" <laughs> and I was like, "What?" And but at the same time, like. It was so difficult because I knew that that question was one coming from a place of genuine concern and curiosity, but also I was frustrated that that question arose from a place where 
whatever kind of theological framework or, or whatever that they were given was inherently supersessionist, as you alluded to earlier, and also was like calling into question, like, hey, you know, you know like Jesus was Jewish, right? And like, no, do you know no, where? No, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's it's that he, it's 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 that the second person of the Trinity still is Jewish. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, yeah, these are the kinds of problems that come up when you know you have a true the whole like we don't have any creed but the Bible nonsense. Like, well, that just means that like your own individual self is now the interpreter of the Bible. Um, with all of your prejudices and idiotic shortcomings. So anyway, next question. Yeah. All right. Next question. Although I love the, uh, the anti-supersessionism uh, bent to the conversation. I think it's deeply important. I've been reading a lot. That's actually one thing I've been doing a lot recently is reading a lot of like, um, like Jewish authors and, and et cetera. Anyway, um, I have like, I'm, I'm, I have an interview coming up later. I was challenged. Uh, like, hey, you talk about all this like open and relational theology stuff. Why don't you ask like a Jewish person what they think about the problem of evil? So I have I have a gentleman coming on, a rabbi uh, who wrote a book um, about thinking about you know good and evil uh, through Jewish perspective, and it's like there's like 37 different answers that he gives in the book, like literally each chapter. Uh, so that'll be fun. Um, but anyway, next question. This is a question I hated getting asked the most when I was uh, a youth pastor um, because I never knew how to to properly answer it, especially because I was like 22 years old and trying to ask this question for myself. And that question is, uh, how far is too far? It's a sex I don't, thing. I don't know what you're so if if uh it's a sex question, yeah. So like if you have a high schooler, middle schooler, whatever, come up and say, all right, look. So where where's the line? Where you know where where am I good? Where do I have to stop? Kind of thing. Um, so it's like a question I was asked over and over. I had a student <clears throat> express to me that they were excited because they could you know they're like, look, I found uh, animated uh, pornography. And so it's not hurting anybody. It's not exploiting anybody. Um, I can watch it and enjoy it. And it doesn't, you know, et cetera. So it's this really <laughs> kind of, this question comes up a lot. Where, where's the border? Where's the line? What, how far is too far? Um, so first I would say it's a question produced by a Christian culture that emphasizes, overly emphasizes the law and makes an idol of various forms of purity so it's not a gospel question um and then having said that i I, mean, I think the more positive construal of it is because my neck of the christian tradition like mainline progressive christianity is like oh well you know you know anything goes um and so you know scripturally song of songs especially uh you know, the purpose of sexuality is is uh, mutual vulnerability um, as a sort of parable of, of how the father loves the son in the spirit. And so if, uh, if there's some sort of sexual relationship uh, apart from that shared vulnerability, then it is um, 
it is not of God and and therefore will be um, not I mean like not sin I mean it, like the language of sin is stupid here it's 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 more it's it will be destructive and or self-destructive yeah I, I love the kind of unless I'm unless I'm hearing you wrong um the vulnerability the relationship um are really important aspects that you know come into this conversation but also wisdom seems to be an important uh kind of element in that kind of conversation um and I know wisdom the thing that gets that gets sketchy with wisdom is like it's not necessarily always black and white uh it's more situational and it's easier to kind of have like a hard cutoff line for things in general, not just this, you know, kind of sexuality question. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I, I think, think it's, I, it's, there's, I think yeah. it's both. And it's, 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 um, yeah. I think, I think Christians in general are uncomfortable with the language of desire. Um, but Eros is the love with which God loves us. Um, so I think we're, we're weirdly, we're uncomfortable with the language of desire as Christians. And yet at the same time, um, we're also offended by the obvious fact that if, uh, <laughs> you know, like any of the <laughs> early Christians could be like time traveled to 21st century America, like they would see us as no different than Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> like both those things can be true. Um, yes. All right. All right. Well, in the interest of, of, of time and moving on, I have, I have like three or four more questions for you. Um, Keep fast, fast, fast. Yeah. One. Yeah. All right. What aspect of your faith has been most difficult for you to rethink? Um. Um, uh, I, so, um, I've been wrestling of late, so I, I, uh, have been rereading all of Robert Jensen's theology, most of which I had already read at an earlier point in my life. Um, and now I'm finally smart enough or mature enough to understand a lot of it. Um, and Jensen's assertion that it's, um, an axiom of the Protestant doctrine of justification by faith, that all things happen, uh, that all things that happen, happen because of God. Um, that there is, that God's will is absolute because God's love is unconditional, that you can't have one without the other. Um, and I think that's true. <laughs> um, and so, um, I've been chastened in all the times I've said, well, like, well, should, like, surely, like, you know, well, God didn't want this or that. Like, I'm like, no, like, I, like, I can't say how. I just, I know I can't, I can't say things that the faith won't allow me to say. Um, and, and I'm thinking about, like, my, uh, my friend Sarah Condon lost both of her parents two years ago uh, in an RV accident, like, just taking their new RV out on, on, a, on the road. And she wrote a really good piece for Mockingbird um, talking about how God wasn't surprised. Um, and that has made me think of other occasions where I've been with people suffering like a tragic loss 
and they've never been bothered by questions of theodicy. What they don't want is for me to rob them of any meaning that they think it has. Um, and so, so I'm not saying that everything happens for a reason, but like like that, in like a stupid literal wooden way. Um, but I am saying that in the past, in the name of being pastoral and empathetic, uh, the God that I have represented is not a God interesting enough to be at work in the world. Um, and, and also like culpable. So like, I, I think Luther's idea or assertion that if you look at how God governs history, you have to either conclude that, um, either God is wicked or God is not. If the standard you're using is anything that we know of is justice. And so I think it's just, a, it, I think that's the most honest answer. And so you just have to conclude that in the end with a capital E, we will learn um, that the method of God's governance is something that we, that transcends our categories. Which is, is the most unprocessed theology thing I could say. <laughs> That's okay. You're allowed. We're. I am open here uh, for all of the things. So I I appreciate it. Thank you. Um. All right. So. Uh, two more questions, and then I'm going to ask you what podcaster you want to hear come on next. But um, this one is especially relevant based off recent news stuff. But do you believe in aliens? And if so. What theological implications uh, does that carry? Yes and none. Nailed it. All right. <laughs> if you, all right, this is 100% a trip puller question. You'll be able to tell that immediately. Uh, if you had to get loaded with a member of church history, who would it be? And then what other member of church history would you fight, want to fight or argue with if you're nonviolent like myself at the end of the night? Uh argue with um so i'd like to like get drunk and punch out uh plagius you know do like a saint nick to arius kind of thing um, yeah 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 <laughs> that's what, um um get drunk with i, I think yeah I, I think i yeah i'd like to like just drink with carl bart get into like an argument with him okay. friendly argument yeah all right he's probably an enneagram eight too so <laughs> well there you go i'm a seven wing eight so the eight part is what gets me in trouble but <laughs> all right so uh a final question and jason again thank you so much for for your time and in entertaining my my silly game um but if you had to nominate which i'm asking you to so you do um if you had to nominate a podcaster who you would like to hear come on next and and answer my 20-ish questions uh who might that be um so you should ask sarah condon from the mocking cast so it's not just okay dudes. yeah there we go sarah condon all right uh she's also in the process of moving so if, if she doesn't have time for it uh, i would nominate chris green who has already really? moved all right chris green Awesome. Well, I appreciate the nominations. And if I have um, any questions or, or, you know, struggles getting in contact with them, uh, I will 
ask you for help. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. So awesome. Well, yeah, Jason, again, thank you so much um, for agreeing to do this. I know you don't know my podcast, uh, but you were nominated by two people that you do know, and maybe they did it for selfish reasons. <laughs> so hopefully they're happy. Uh, but I really in- enjoyed our conversation um, and hopefully, you know, our, our paths cross uh, in, you know, not Zoom world you're n- in the future. You're not far away. Yeah, you. Yeah, because I'm in Baltimore. You're where are you guys? DC. The, oh, yeah. Right on. Go Caps. Sounds good. Not too far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, so, uh, send this to me when you're done. I'll, I'll push it up. Yeah, absolutely. Most definitely. And uh, listeners, as always, thank you so much for for hanging out and uh, playing our silly game. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And uh, go in peace, guys. Peace.